Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. And this episode will be in Matthew 28. Actually, the whole chapter, I think. We should be able to do all of it in a pretty good amount of time. Um, it's uh, it's 20 verses long, and yet it breaks down pretty simply. And there was no good stopping place in the middle of it. And so theoretically, this will be a normal episode length, maybe a few minutes long. I don't know. We'll see. I, I ad-lib half of this on the spot. Uh, and so we'll see how, how long it actually goes. Go ahead and be turning to Matthew 28. And that's where we'll be. In the end of Matthew 27... We talked about Jesus being rejected by everyone, if you remember that, a couple weeks ago. We talked about Jesus on the cross as he's hung there. He's rejected by the soldiers. He's rejected by the thieves. He's rejected by the Jewish people, by his own friends and family. He's rejected by God. But then we also see that he's not fully rejected by God. And, like, he's rejected by his followers, but Joseph of Arimathea is still a little bit faithful. And, and like, the women are still following him a little bit to see where he is. And so he is rejected by everyone, but not quite by everyone, and not fully by everyone. But we end off chapter 27 as he is dead and gone. He's been killed. He's been put in a grave. The Pharisees have rejected him completely. And they say, you know, in chapter 27 and verse 63, uh, he said he was going to come back after three days, and so we need to secure this tomb. We need to put a seal on it. We need to put soldiers in front of it so that Jesus stays dead inside there, and his disciples don't come and steal him. Or if he does come back to life, the soldiers just kill him again and keep him in there. And that's the, uh, that's the theory of how this is going to go down. Let's start reading in Matthew 28. We're just going to read the whole chapter, so try to pay attention as best as you can and to uh, keep all of keep all of this in your mind, but uh, just focus on the text if you're able to. And let's start reading Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen. I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. 
Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And just like that, the book of Matthew closes. It's been a long time coming. This is episode 94, I believe, of this series. It's gone for almost two years. Uh, May of 20... uh, What year was that? May of 2021 to March of 2023. And here it is. Here's the culmination. Is almost... It's very climactic, but when you read it, it almost seems anticlimactic. Because... We don't get to see any of these things happen firsthand. Basically, the two Marys show up at Jesus' tomb. At some point before this, I assume they didn't see it. In the other accounts, it's pretty clear it happened in the past. Matthew doesn't really display it that way. Um, And so Matthew, maybe you could argue Matthew displays it as both Marys see this event happen. Um, But they, they they enter the area Jesus' tomb is in, and the, the doors open, and there's no Jesus inside, but there's an angel who says, oh yeah, earlier Jesus got up and, and left. And we don't see any of that happen, right? Then they go and see the, um, they're supposed to go and see the apostles. They go and they actually see Jesus, and Jesus says, you should go and tell my disciples to go somewhere. We never actually see that happen. We have no idea what that interaction was. They just go and see Jesus and then we see a bribery scene where the Jews say, you know, we're going we're gonna to lie about this. Um, and then Jesus, Jesus just gives them a command at the end. And that's it. It's very simple. And, and it's a wonderful end to the story. It's a happy ending, thankfully, even though last week we may not have been so sure about that. It is a wonderful and happy ending, But there's also a lot going on. See, the point of Matthew is not to end in a conclusive way. It's not to end in in the fashion of a normal book that we read, right? It's not to end in the way of uh, happily ever after, that people are done and now there's no more, and that's it, we're done. We finished the book, and it was a good book, and we put our stamp of approval on it, and we file it on our shelf, and don't think about it again for the next 10 years. That's not how this book works. That's not the point of this book. The book is not to settle your mind. The point is to push you to do something. The point of this book is not so that you are secure and are happy that you took some knowledge and that's it. The point of the book is to push you to go out and do something with it. And so it doesn't have a typical book climax where we see everything in vivid detail as it's happening and then everything works out in the end. Or rather, if that was the climax, that probably would have been the crucifixion. (laughs) And the resurrection is an afterthought, but the most important afterthought that's ever been thought after. That, that, that made sense in my head, but didn't really come out right. Oh well. When you come to this section, the outline is, is rather simple for this entire chapter. And the outline itself points you to a truth about Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's doing. Let's see. So... 
for this outline, basically, the first four verses are this brief introduction where the angel arrives and the women arrive at the tomb. And they see that happen, and then the story is set up, and you have three dialogue sections. You have four dialogue sections. My bad. You have a divine messenger who speaks, the angel speaking the word, um, saying, Jesus is risen. He's not here anymore. Go and see him. Right? You have Jesus who speaks, who says, greetings, I am risen. I'm not, I'm not in the tomb anymore. You should tell my disciples to go and see me. Then you have the Pharisees who speak. The only humans who actually speak in this chapter, the only side of humanity that gets a voice, right? The disciples don't get a voice, which is odd. The women don't get a voice. The witnesses don't get a voice, which is also odd. But the Pharisees do. The voice of dissension, the voice that's trying to override Jesus, the voice that's trying to speak over Jesus, right? Jesus says, look, you tell my disciples to come and see me where I am. And the Pharisees say, well, let's say he's not anywhere. Let's say he's, he's dead and gone and stolen, stolen away by his disciples. Let's say that instead. But Jesus has the last word, right? The last section of this is Jesus having the last word on the whole matter. This is what the Pharisees have tried to do throughout the entire book, is Jesus says something, it's true, it's good, it's, it's honest, it's what God says, and the Pharisees try to override him by saying their own thing, by doing their own thing, by contradicting him, and Jesus responds back with an answer that they can't reply to, that they can't defend, that they can't block, that they can't uh, dissuade, they can't destroy his answers, because his answers are just right. And so you have a divine message from the angel, you have Jesus himself, the Pharisees trying to protest it, but then you have Jesus speak again, and Jesus's commands will not be broken. The important theme you see in this chapter is all to do with the commands and the words of Jesus. And this is why that outline is so important. This is why it's so important that Jesus speaks and the Pharisees try to trump him, but Jesus goes over them and goes over their heads and they can't do anything about it. The reason why this is important is that Jesus's words need to be secure, right? This book of Matthew, we've spent a long time in this book. We've spent a long time studying through it What's the point of it? It's to tell you all about the words and the actions of Jesus. Now, if you read Mark, it's more about the actions, but the words are really important. If you read Matthew or Luke, it's more about the words and actions put together. If you read John, the, the fourth gospel, that's more about the words of Jesus, less about the actions, but the actions are still important. In all of these gospels, the words are key. In Matthew, they're pretty especially key. The words, the promises, the statements, the sayings of Jesus, Jesus's commands are incredibly important because Jesus isn't here today. Jesus isn't on earth today. He's not, let me, let me rephrase what I was about to say. I was about to say he's not alive today, and I mean that in the sense of he does not exist on earth in this physical plane and realm of existence currently. He's very much alive. He is very much, very much alive in heaven with God. 
but he is not here physically on earth. What is here are the words of Jesus. What we do have is a record of the things he said, and his word has to be secure. <laughs> Otherwise, nothing he said, nothing we have written down, nothing that's in the Bible means anything. If Jesus lied, then his words don't mean anything. If Jesus didn't tell the truth, then his words don't mean anything to us. And we can't get salvation by them. And we have no reason to follow them because all they're going to bring is persecution and death and, and irritation throughout our lives. And if Jesus lied, there's nothing good. Jesus in this chapter is proving that his words are true, that his words are good, that his words are useful, and that his words have power. Look at verse 6, right? Other than just the, he, he, you show, Matthew shows this idea, Jesus' words being powerful, in the very fact that Jesus speaks over the Pharisees again, right? They try to trump him, and, and he doesn't let that happen. Matthew shows that in the outline, but then look in, in a few different verses in this section. Um, in verse 6, Matthew 28, verse 6, what does the angel say? The angel says, Jesus is not here, for he is risen just as he said. Do you remember that time back after the, uh, after the, what is that? What's that called? After the great confession back in like chapter 16, I think. Um, it's been a while since we've been there. Let's see. Yeah. After the, after the great confession, chapter 16 in verse uh, 21, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem which happened, for him to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, which happened, for him to be killed, that's chapter 27, that happened, and for him to be raised on the third day, that's chapter 28, it happened. The word of Jesus is secure. He said he would come back from the dead, and even though he was dead, he accomplished it. <laughs> And he came back from the dead. His word is sure. Even when he died, even when he left earth, even when he was gone and when his physical presence wasn't here, his word was still authoritative and his word still commanded reality itself. It bent reality to its will. Even when Jesus was not actively alive on earth in physical form, his word still had effect. So even though he's not alive, active on earth in his physical form today, his word still has effect today because we've seen that it always had effect. How else do you see his word being powerful? Uh, in chapter 27, in verse 63, this is just a reinforcement of the idea. The, the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was alive, he said, After three days I will rise again, so give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. And his, the last deception will be worse than the first. The Pharisees say, he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar. He's going to cheat. He's going to do something fake. The disciples are going to rig the system somehow. The Pharisees said, no, he is not coming back. There is no way he is never coming back, and we are going to make sure of it. And Jesus said, yeah, I am. <laughs> Jesus had said that so many chapters ago. 
whose word holds true, the Pharisees or Jesus? The Pharisees, while they were strong, while they had power, while they were here on earth, could not overrule Jesus's words, even when Jesus was dead and gone and not existing on the earth. Now that the Pharisees are dead and gone, and now that Jesus lives with God and rules with him and has been declared the king, whose word do you think is more secure? It always has been Jesus, but now that that challenge that was to his authority is even more negligible than it ever was. Jesus's word is secure. Do I have to keep saying that? I feel like that's pretty well documented in this chapter. In verse 17, you see um, another indication of doubt, of questioning, when the the 11 disciples, not 12 anymore because Judas has, has offed himself, um, when the 11 disciples come to Jesus, they see Jesus, they worship him, but some doubt him. In verse 17, we don't know what they doubted. We don't know what they doubted. But it doesn't matter whether they doubt or not. It doesn't matter that his apostles didn't think he would come back to life. It doesn't matter that all of them ran away from the scene. It doesn't matter that all of them let him be crucified and none of them did anything about it or were anywhere nearby, according to Matthew anyway. It doesn't matter that none of them saw the resurrection. It doesn't matter that none of them looked at the tomb, according to Matthew anyway. Uh, We know from other accounts, Peter and John went and looked into the tomb. It doesn't matter any of those things. It doesn't matter that they doubt what Jesus said. What matters is that Jesus said it, and so it comes true. Jesus said he would come back from the dead. He did. Enough. (laughs) What else are we going to add to that? Except that every one of Jesus' words throughout this entire gospel has been fulfilled. Right? Even the stuff we looked at in Matthew 24, the really confusing passage that's talking both, that in my view anyway, is talking both about the physical reality of Jerusalem falling in AD 70, um, uh, in 70 AD, so many years ago. I think it's Matthew 24 is talking about that. I think Matthew 24 is also talking about the end of time. But the Jerusalem part of Matthew 24 has been fulfilled, and the cosmic part of Matthew 24 is yet to come. How do I trust that that's still coming in the future? Because all of his words have been fulfilled. All of the words that were that have been fulfilled up to this point, and all of the words capable of fulfillment to this point in history have been, in fact, fulfilled. And there's nothing he said that hasn't come true. Jesus said he would come back from the dead. If he can do that, he can do anything. (laughs) If he can raise himself from the dead, he can pull off anything he wants to. And he certainly will. Because, as he says in the end of Matthew here, this is why his word works. This is why his word is so important. This is why he has so much power, is that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So go and do something with it. Jesus is no longer just a man living on earth, no longer just God in physical form, no longer just a representation of God to an unfaithful people. He is all of those things. He was all of those things at a certain point in history, and he still lives and is king and and is God's now. But that's not all. 
Because now, Jesus has become authority itself. He has become authority in its entirety. All authority has been given to Jesus. He rules it. He has it. He grasps it in his hand. He owns authority. Every authority that's ever been, Jesus owns it. Whatever he says goes. And if Jesus, in a limited physical form on earth, if Jesus, God, yes, but God in the flesh, if Jesus, while on earth, had every one of his words come true, Jesus in heaven, crowned king, with full authority? What word of his is not going to come true? I'd say none of them. Because he has the authority of God. And he uses that authority in a very particular way. He uses that authority in a powerful way and an impactful way to change the lives of people around him. Again, this is not for him to write something. For, this is not for Matthew to end off a story and it be nice and pleasant and us be done with it and move on with our lives. No, this ends off Matthew in his outline, he's shown that Jesus' word is superior. Matthew in his statements all throughout this gospel has shown that Jesus' word is superior. Matthew in statements even in this chapter shows that Jesus' word is superior, shows that he has authority, shows that he can command, shows that he has the ability and all of these rights to do this kind of thing. And so the last thing that Matthew leaves us with is the words of Jesus. And not words that say, all right, the job's over. They're words that say, look, your job is just beginning. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What do we do with that? Where, where do we go with that? Okay, Jesus, you've given us authority, or he's, he's been given authority. What is he going to do with the authority? He's going to command... In verse 19, that you go make disciples of all the nations and go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and go and teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. And remember, Jesus is always with them. Who is this them? It's the apostles. In verse 16, well, the disciples, anyway, the followers of Jesus, the friends of God, the people who listened to Jesus, the people who watched him do incredible things, the people who have been with him the whole time, the followers of Jesus are sent out to go and impact the world so that the world would then follow. Jesus leaves off with one command. It's a simple command, and it's a singular command that you be a follower of him. How does that look? Well, he commands the disciples who are followers of him to go out and make more followers. And to each of those followers, guess what he would command? To go out and make more followers. He calls the disciples, he calls his followers to go out and teach about him to other people to impact their lives. Because being a follower of Jesus 
means that you spread the news about Jesus to the people who don't know it. And being a follower of God means that you go out and make more followers of God. And those followers go out and make more followers. And those followers go out and make more. Ideally, everyone is supposed to follow God. Practically, that probably won't happen. But ideally, it would. But it all starts with me going out and doing something to make followers of God. And then it starts with those followers going out and doing something to make more followers of God. Why do you think I'm here at all? Why, why do you think I'm the voice on the other end of Spotify or Anchor or whatever podcast site you use to listen to this? Why do you think I'm making this, this episodic series traveling through the Bible? It's not for fun. It's partly for my own training so that I can get used to working on, on thought processes. But what is it? Why, why am I doing this? Because I've been told I need to teach people. <laughs> Because I've been told I need to do something. Because I've been told to go out and make followers. And I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know if anyone's listening to this. But I'm doing my best to make followers. Even over the internet. Make followers. You can use an internet connection to go and help someone. You can use your Wi-Fi to go and help someone. Or you can find people at the local coffee shop. There are people here that, that I'm able to help in person or online, um, people who are local to this area, but also people in other countries who listen to this podcast, who have tuned in before, uh, people from Germany or Canada or uh, Mexico, Australia. I've had listeners from like the Czech Republic tune in, at least for one episode. I don't know why, but they're hearing it, and people are listening. We, as followers of Christ, are called by Christ himself to go out and make more followers. If this show is a benefit to you, then good. And use it to do what Jesus said. Use it to bolster your faith so that you go out and make more. That's the point of the Gospel of Matthew. Not for us to have a nice story about Jesus where we sit down and say, wow, I feel so educated. But for us to have a good story about Jesus where we can say, wow, now I know. And we can get up and do something with it. Don't just sit on it. Don't just meditate on it. Don't just think about it. Do all of those things, yes. But if that's where it ends, you're not a follower. Following requires walking after Christ and pulling others along to be just like him. And that'll do it for the book of Matthew. We've been in this gospel for a long time, for 93 episodes, 94 episodes. I think this is number 94. It's been a while. It's been a ride. Some of it's been been very good, and some of it's been pretty bad. Uh, thank you for listening Hope you enjoyed, but I really hope there's something that you benefit from in all of this. I don't know what book I'm going to go on to next. I don't know what I'm going to do next. It Theoretically, it could be something topical, 
or it could be a book study. I don't know what would be helpful for the listeners. So by all means, if you have suggestions, then let me know. I have, and it should be in the podcast description. I have an email account. I have an Instagram page. Both of those use just biblical breadcrumbs. Um, you'll be able to email me, send me a message, and maybe that'll, uh, maybe I'll be able to see that and decide on something for starting next week. We're doing something else, uh, and we're starting into something else. If I have no input, I may do First and Second Thessalonians because I'm going to need to do a, uh, I'm going to need to teach a class on that later on this year. So I need to be thinking through it anyway. I might do those two letters from Paul. If something else comes up, I could totally do that instead, and that would be fine as well. I don't know what would be helpful. What would inspire you to go and do something? What would help you to get out of your comfort zone and start working for God? If there's anything that comes up, if there's anything you would like to hear about or have a study on or whatever it is, just let me know and I'd be glad to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you benefited. God bless, and I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.